This is a monumental day for Britney Spears. It's also a somber day for me, for Britney, and I think for a lot of us who have been following conservatorships and how they operate. This conservatorship was corrupted by James P. Spears. James P. Spears, as we all know, from public records, public records, took anywhere from three to four million dollars from the estate. He took a salary from the estate. He took a percentage of his daughter's earnings from Las Vegas and otherwise. Many people have asked about whether we will continue to investigate Mr. Spears. The answer ultimately is up to my client, Brittany, and I'm not going to get into it beyond that. Welcome back. Lonnie, I'm so pleased to have you back on Crime Analyst to talk about Britney Spears and what happened today. And it really has been monumental. So please go ahead. I know you don't need an introduction. You're a legal expert and a former prosecutor in Los Angeles, and you're at the courthouse today. And my listeners have had the privilege and honor of listening to you a number of times. So I'm really pleased you've carved out some time to come back and, and update us. So over to you, what happened? Well, I'm really happy to be here, Laura, and I'm very um, happy to be able to say that after almost 14 years of being under this very controlling and restrictive conservatorship, Britney Spears today had the conservatorship terminated by the judge, both the conservatorship over her person, which has governed all of her personal decisions, including who she could see, how she, um, you know, handled her medical issues, almost every daily decision she made, and also the conservatorship over her estate, which was all of the money decisions and how she spent her money and how she worked and, and how she invested her money. Um, and it's been almost 14 years and the d- thing was done in about 21 minutes. The judge had everyone come in. And again, some of the parties are in court and some of them are on Zoom. And she said, OK, uh, the petition has been filed to terminate this conservatorship. I'm going to ask everyone, all the parties, their opinion on this. And she went one by one uh, through all of the different attorneys, uh, Jamie's attorney, her father, Lynn's attorney, her mother, um, you know, the attorneys for the conservatorship of the estate and the conservatorship of the person. And they all said they had no objection. And so once that was done, uh, the judge just said, well, then there's no reason under California law why this needs to continue. And it is terminated immediately. Wow. And as you mentioned, it's almost 14 years. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, just to reflect on that, that, that's just such a huge amount of time. And I mean, I was cheering, I saw it and I was texting you and there was some, you know, back and forth and we had discussed beforehand what we thought might happen. And we were obviously hoping that this would be the outcome because when we last spoke, it was about the September hearing, uh, the 29th, where Jamie was suspended. And we were really pleased about that. But 14 yeah. years is a very long time. Just tell me and my listeners a little bit about, before I get into a couple of questions, about the atmosphere when you got down there today. What was going on at the courthouse? 
You know, it's a very interesting experience. So you get down there early when you're a part of the media because you never know how big the crowds are going to be. So um, I was there as part of the Access Hollywood team and the producers got there before seven o'clock in the morning to stake out a place and set up the cameras and make sure they could, you know, get the position in court. Um, and then I got there a little bit later, but as the day goes on, the free Britney people start to come and it's become a very interesting, diverse group. So you've got the Britney fans and then you have the conservatorship advocates who are talking about the abuses that go on in conservatorships. And they've started to work really well with the free Britney people as far as educating them and, and really opening this up to the bigger issue, even beyond Brittany. Um, and then there are people there that want to bring attention to their specific cases. There was one there, um, uh, posters that said uh, free Peter Max. And it was his, um, his daughter there, I think, that wanted to talk about it. Um, Glenn Campbell's family members were there talking about him. So uh, they had a stage set up and a big um, speaker and they have, you know, the entertainment. They had a group of dancers where the, every dancer was dressed as a different Britney Spears video costume that you would recognize, you know, and they did a little um, uh, dance. And then there was some a workout guy who did a whole he was amazing. He did a workout to a, a song where they had had all these lyrics about free Britney. And then he talked about the whole Britney conservatorship battle sort of as he's doing the workout thing. I mean, so you have a lot of entertainment going on. Um, and then they allow everyone into the courtroom who's, who has a pass. You have to sign up ahead of time. And that process starts at one o'clock and it takes a while. So by the time everybody sits down in the court, it's two o'clock. And then all the media people are outside just waiting. And we didn't know if it was going to be a long hearing um, or a short hearing. We didn't know uh, if it was going to all be done today or not. And the court today said no one is leaving the courtroom. If you have to go to the bathroom, if you have an emergency, you're not going anywhere. Everyone is staying in this courtroom until we're finished. And you can't get on your phone. You can't contact anyone. So what's going on in court is literally confined as what's going on in court. And everyone out on the street, the media have all these deadlines, these time deadlines that they're trying to get to when their show is going to air. And so um, it was like by 2.30, you had to be getting the information and, and doing your stand-ups to get it on air in time. And everybody was like, well, I don't know if they're going to get out in time and nobody can leave before that. So we won't know. And literally about 20 minutes after two, our producer came flying around the corner. She had run so fast she could barely breathe. And she's trying to, she says, terminated, terminated. It's all terminated. Estate and person all terminated. She could barely get it out because her, her, and then you could tell everyone was trying to get the message because of the crowds and all the free Britney people who had been marching up and down the street during all of this, doing their chants, started to cheer and yell. And then the confetti went off and um, everyone was so happy. And so then everyone starts to try and do their standups for their, for their different TV outlets. And then Matthew Rosengart came out fairly quickly and took his place behind the, all of the microphones and gave a, um, a press conference as he's, you know, really good at doing and kind of explaining what's going on. And he just said, um, it's over. It's all terminated. The conservatorship is terminated. And today, for the first time in a long time, the only person who will be deciding what happens in Britney Spears' life is one person, and that's Britney Spears. And so then it was funny because when the reporters started to ask questions about Britney and Britney this and Britney that, he essentially said, you know what? 
that's all up to Brittany. I can't tell you. It's that, you know, those are her decisions she's going to make. So. Amazing. I played a clip of, or I will play a clip of Matthew Rosengart talking when he first came out and addressing everybody. And I think the fact that he makes the point that everything from now on is Brittany's choice and it's her decision. And I know it got a lot of cheers. And I think that's really important that she has her autonomy and her agency back and her freedom. Of course, that's what we all wanted. But I felt quite sad too. I, I must admit, it's kind of been a roller coaster of emotions. And he did mention that how conflicting it is, that it's a sad day in many respects. And I still wonder how the hell we got here. You know, for me, my inquisitive brain is still, well, how how did we get here? And of course, he mentioned previously that he would be asking questions about that very issue of how it happened. Because I did hear that Judge Penny had said that the conservatorship was no longer required. But what she had also said was that that previously there was actually no report ever submitted saying that she lacked capacity and therefore it was a voluntary process and therefore the court didn't need further evidence to show that she had regained her capacity. Is that what was said, that it was voluntary or can you clear up? She did say, it's been reported that she did say it was voluntary, but I think how it came about was when a conservatorship is put into place, when it's first started, they have to show that the person lacks the capacity, right, to take care of themselves. And that's usually based on, you know, a physical or a mental issue. And in Brittany's case, everyone assumed it had some mental health issues to it, and it's been sealed. So no one knows what it is. And so that's why at the end of the conservatorship, they always, almost always have a medical evaluation done at the end. And Brittany was very clear as of June, she was saying, I want this ended, but I don't want to do a medical examination evaluation. But that's usually done for the judge to be able to say, "Okay, now she has her capacity back. And that's grounds for me to now end the conservatorship. And it's usually a very important part, too, because a lot of legal experts are um, speculating, look, if she doesn't get that before she terminates this. And heaven forbid, a couple of months away from now, something, you know, happens with Brittany's mental health. People are going to say, wait a minute, why didn't you get that evaluation before you terminated the conservatorship? Um, Just to make sure that she's in a safe place. But that's where that 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 comment came up that she was saying it in response to. Essentially, she was saying there doesn't need to be capability finding because this was voluntary. Now, If she's saying that that means from the very beginning it was voluntary, that's kind of new because everyone has said that at some point that evaluation was made in the beginning and it's all been sealed. So I'm not sure if she was saying that it wasn't done in the beginning, but the word voluntary was surprising to me because clearly Brittany has not been wanting to have this for a long time. So where the voluntariness of it comes in, I don't know. I don't know if it was just sort of some legalese or a legal argument for her to hang her hat on so that she felt like she could say, I don't need a mental evaluation or I'm not going to ask for one. But that was the question I asked. I asked Matthew Rosengart after in the, in the press conference, I said, look, um, we all know Britney Spears didn't want to have a mental evaluation. You were able to get this terminated without one. How surprising is that? And he's didn't really, he sort of went around it. He didn't give Mm. a specific answer. So uh, I don't really know 
what happened there. That's very interesting that you zeroed in on that as well, because if there and what what I was told was that the judges said it started out as voluntary and there was never a declaration of Britney's incapacity. Now, if there was never a report, let's just play it out. If there wasn't ever a report by a psychiatrist or psychologist talking about her capacity and that she lacked capacity thereof, if that report never existed, there wasn't one, that is terrifying to me. That is even more frightening. Well, I don't actually know which is more frightening, a psychologist or psychiatrist saying that she did lack capacity to the point she's been held under this conservatorship for 13 years or one where the scenario where there is no report and yet Brittany's been told that there was something and she has believed the whole way along that she couldn't just get out of it, which if it is voluntary, it sounds to me like she actually could have. And what we now know is that her children were used against her and there were all sorts of rules and regulations that she had to live her life by, that she was threatened if she didn't keep to these rules. So for me, that was a huge revelation, actually, if if true. And it's really frightening if true. And I'd still want to know you know, whether a report existed or not, because I think that is very concerning, whichever way it is, who was the psychiatrist or psychologist signing off on it and assessing her. And if there wasn't one, then how could it be that a woman could be kept for almost 14 years under this draconian arrangement? It's the stuff of nightmares, I think, Lonnie. And then, of course, you've got all the matters that are outstanding regarding... Anybody who saw the New York Times documentary and it was mocked by James Spears' attorney as a TV show. It wasn't a TV show. It was a highly vetted documentary or read the New York Times front page expose knows that the conduct as alleged by the Times, which was corroborated by the Times, deserves investigation. I used to be a federal prosecutor. Now I'm just a private attorney. I don't have criminal investigative powers what happens there will be up to law enforcement, not up to me. And I think Matthew Rosengard made mention of it. He said that Jamie Spears, he was very clear when he first took to the podium about Jamie Spears being corrupt. He didn't mince his words on that. And he very clearly said that he's taken about three to four million dollars of her estate. And then there's the salary he took. And then there's the monies that he took from her tours. That, again, raises huge questions, doesn't it? And he said initially, whether there's an investigation or not, that's a matter for Brittany to decide. But he also said, in a, as he continued on, that he talked about himself being a former federal prosecutor. The, the nod to me was of one of when he talked about the New York Times and the fact that Jamie's attorney had said that this was just a TV show. And he said very clearly... This was not just a TV show. This was an expose and they did their legal diligence and that he inferred that if he were a federal prosecutor now, he would be looking to his powers. That was the inference that I took. But he said it's not his decision. He's just a private attorney. And he said it's a matter for law enforcement. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. 
Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So I wasn't sure which one it was. Was it Britney's decision or was it law enforcement's decision? I don't, I don't know if you have a view. And of course, you're not a mind reader, so I'm not asking you to, to read his mind, but whether there was anything further said about that. Well, I can tell you this. Uh, I did not hear most of his press conference because I was having to do TV duties. So I threw out my question and then I was on. So I didn't hear this part of the uh, conversation. So I can't tell you exactly how that came across to me. But I do know that he has been very clear in the other press conferences that, and we heard Brittany herself say it twice, that she wanted her father to be investigated. She wanted her family to be investigated. And he confirmed that I am doing this. Brittany wants me to do it. I'm doing this. And in fact, just a week or so ago, he filed a 110-page document with the court laying out that he wants uh, to get a sworn deposition from Jamie Spears and also documents uh, relating to whatever type of surveillance was going on um, over Brittany. And that's based on what came out of the New York Times documentary. So it appears that he has been continuing down that path, uh, wanting to continue into that investigation. Um, but I think he also wants to make it very clear that, it, that it's up to Brittany, right? He's not going to do this. If she decides, hey, I'm out of this now, though, I just want to end this. I want to get into a peaceful place in my life and just take care of myself and back off of it. I think he's saying this will be up to Brittany. And then, you know, part of it, the, if there is criminal investigation or criminal charges possible, that is up to law enforcement. Uh, you know, a, a private attorney cannot bring those charges. They can give him information and evidence to law enforcement, that, but that's up to law enforcement to do. If yes, it's and, criminal. It's, and it's huge that he is a former federal prosecutor and, and that's what he was saying. I mean, for me, and, and I know you share the same view all along, it's following the money trail to see what has happened. It can't be as simple as, well, it's terminated, that's great. And I, I know that there is a further matter that will be going back to court. It's called tying up the financial sort of loose ends, which was going to be December, which I believe now is going to be January. Is that right? Where? I've heard two different dates, a December one and a January one. So they might be doing two different hearings. Right. I mean, maybe there's more time required because th there was an article that I also read that, uh, again, Matthew Rosengart didn't pull any punches in it. It was a Rolling Stones article and it was about TriStar it specifically, and it was about, again, following the money trail where Matthew Rosengart was saying very clearly there could be a matter of fraud or misconduct. And TriStar, and he talked specifically about Robin Greenhill and Lou Taylor, he's requested 
basic information on financial data from 2008 onwards because he wants to find out specifically how Jamie Spears or why Jamie Spears agreed to give them, I think it's half a million dollars on a minimum annual agreement. And this was when Britney Spears was on a hiatus. She wasn't actually working. But they have failed, TriStar, to provide that very basic information And Matthew Rosengart is particularly unhappy, as I would be, and as I'm sure, more importantly, Brittany is, as to why they're not answering the most basic questions. So it's not just about Jamie Spears, is it? It's also about the others in the machine, the Sam Inghams and and TriStar. Well, so, so, yeah, he brought up specifically in the first paragraph of his news conference today, Jamie Spears and TriStar. He brought up TriStar along with Jamie. So he is definitely focused on both of them now as part of this investigation if, if he continues on with it. Um, and again, I think part of that is based on the information that came out in the, I believe it was the New York Times documentary where there were allegations that I think it was Robin from TriStar had figured out a way to mirror Britney's phone on an iPad and so that they would know of all of her communications. And so that's part of why he is asking for all of the communications um, or documentation that Jamie had with TriStar in regards to any type of surveillance of Brittany and her uh, communication. So um, another interesting thing along those lines, both Jamie and uh, TriStar specifically has said at this point, look, you can complain all you want about how much money we spent, but the way the conservatorship is set up, every year they have to send an accounting of all the money that's being taken from the estate, where it's going, and it's approved by the court. And their defense is, we were approved by the court. The court passed off on every single thing that we took from the estate. So if you want to look at somebody, it's not us because we're covered, essentially. So today, at the end of the press conference, when I was finished with my media duties, I actually kind of went running after Matthew Rosengart and asked this question. I said, look, You've talked about Jamie and TriStar as part of this investigation. TriStar is already doing it, and I'm sure Jamie's going to be saying the same thing, and that is we have a defense to how much money we spent because it was all approved by the court. That's the way a conservatorship is run. Every year we submit all of the money and where it's going, and and it got signed off every year. So will you, Matthew, as part of your investigation, if this is true, at some point do you envision expanding your investigation into looking at the judge's actions. And he looked at me and he paused and he said, no comment. Wow. Wow. I think that's very interesting. Now, I don't know. I have to tell you right now, I haven't done the research to see if that can be done or how that would be done, the process that that would be done, um, because you don't hear about that, right? You just don't hear about people questioning the judges, especially in a conservatorship situation like this. So I don't even know if it's legally possible. I'm sure it's rarely, if ever, done. But it seems to me that in this case, that's where it's leading. That's my opinion of how the investigation looks. So, Yes, I think judges' accountability, I mean, for me, in in many cases, it comes up fairly often, actually, both in criminal cases and family court cases. 
in the UK, there's a lot more scrutiny now happening, for example, with family court judges, because most of them haven't been trained on domestic abuse and coercive control. And yet they're ruling on these matters every day. Um, And I feel that we should be at a stage now where there should be transparency and there should be accountability. And it doesn't matter which court you preside in, it should be of a matter of, of, of some of the key decisions of public record somewhere, particularly where cases like this, something unusual goes on. I mean, we are talking about almost 14 years of her life. And, and why I felt slightly sad and conflicted is because those 14 years or, you know, 13 and a half, she'll never get them back. And Lonnie, you and I know both as women, you know, your clock ticks. There's certain things for you as women that you have to think about. And she had those freedoms and choices taken from her and having just had a baby. And I know from having spoken to Amanda Knox and various other women who were looking at, you know, long incarceration periods or in particular with Brittany, yes, she's been in invisible chains, but we talked about her not having her own reproductive autonomy, that there was coercion there. So I feel very sad for her that those years she will never get back, but I, I hope that she will look forward um, but it is very conflicting. And I do think that these questions must be asked of, of the judge too, if that were the case and she was signing off on these matters and no questions being asked. And let's say it was a voluntary process. Why wasn't there anyone in the machine asking about this? And I heard one lawyer talk about it as being an anomaly case. You know, when people talk about conservatorship abuse as it being widespread, I have heard various specialists, um, they don't have a homogenous view, actually, of those lawyers who are wrapped up in the conservatorship work. Some say that the, the abuse is rife and others say that Britney's case is an anomaly and therefore it won't change things for other cases because it's so unique I heard one lawyer quote, 95% of cases, for example, tend to be Alzheimer's and dementia. So it's very clear that someone's lost capacity. But in those cases where, let's say, there's mental health issues, normally there has been, somebody lacks their capacity and there's been an evaluation and then there's an evaluation for them to come out of the conservatorship. But that's quite rare. Brittany's case may be rarer still. She goes into it voluntarily it's meant to be temporary. It then becomes permanent somehow. There's no report, no evaluation, and therefore there's no evaluation needed to get her out of it. But that's where questions must be asked about the whole process, because I'm hearing such conflicting things. Well, and the other thing that, that makes Brittany so unique is that she, one, was much younger than most people are, Usually if it's, if it's, you know, someone that's not in their older years, it's someone who goes through like a physical crisis where they are temporarily incapacitated and can't take care of themselves. So it's a very short temporary um, solution. But the other thing too is, and this is the thing that everybody just is shocked about is how productive and capable she was during that time. I mean, how many other superstars are out there, you know, making millions of dollars and under a conservatorship? I mean, I don't think we, we could name another one. Um, so I think that's always going to make her unique. And people always say, well, that's why that one was separate, you know, and and to the point where the way this was terminated, the way, as soon as Matthew Rosengart got on this case, this thing, boy, just zoomed through, got a, got a new attorney, got a new conservator and ended the conservatorship all within literally a matter of months. And any conservatorship expert will tell you that is not the way conservatorships are handled. 
it never happens that quickly. If if it terminates at all, it usually takes a, a couple of years to terminate it. And it's a it's a process and a transition. Now, this is something we need to talk about too, and that is Matthew did say there is a safety net in place so that she's, you know, going to be okay, both helping her with her estate and with her um, her personal health decisions. Uh, when pressed on that, and he was pressed quite a bit, he would not give any details, which I think is totally appropriate. Those are her personal details. Um, but he did say that there was something in place. Now, I think if it hadn't been the free Britney train, another judge might have said, well, let's put that safety net in place first. Let's make sure that it's working over the next few months before we actually terminate this. I can see a judge very clearly doing that. But I think the free Britney train was going and it was it was gone. And the judge was just like, you know, everybody's signing off on this. Nobody's objecting to it. We're done with it. It's two extremes, isn't it, in one respect? One, you know, where Sam Ingham seemed to have a lot of power, a court appointed lawyer who wasn't really advocating for his client, but was working to Jamie Spears. So there's a conflict of interest right there. And now everyone seems to be rowing for sure. Yes, Mm -hmm. public pressure absolutely played into it. I think the world has been watching. Certainly I have been today and just looking at how many celebrities have weighed in now and so many other people, New York, people were partying in the streets. You know, this was a case and it's affected so many people. But I think it's right that there is a treatment plan of sorts. I think it's right that there should be um, some kind of financial oversight to help her with rather than going from one extreme to another. And perhaps those provisions, it sounds like there are temporary things through John Zabel, who's the administrator uh, of the trust, that there are some things in, in place. And of course, we all hope that Brittany doesn't relapse in any way because of the addiction problems and various other things, but she's got so much to look forward to now that, um, and obviously recently got engaged as well. And just her message on Instagram was just lovely. It, it really did warm my heart of her saying, in fact, I'll, I'll read what she wrote because I thought it was, it was really lovely about her um, fans. Brittany wrote on her IG, good God, I love my fans so much it's crazy. I think I'm going to cry the rest of the day. Best day ever. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? And hashtag freed Brittany. And her nod to them is just a beautiful thing because she's she's said more recently that if it hadn't have been for them, for the Free Britney movement, that none of this really would have happened. And then, of course, you've got the documentaries. And I do think the New York Times expose played a a huge pivotal role in this. And obviously the timing of the part two, I called it coercively controlling Britney Spears, that aired right before this hearing on September the 29th, where, again, if, if they are saying, and if they have shown that 180 hours of audio was illegally recorded in her bedroom and in her intimate conversations with her partner and intimate acts with her partner and with her children, then, you know, legally that has to be looked at. That's not just toxic, that's illegal. And therefore Matthew Rosengart is exactly right to say this isn't just about a TV show, a documentary. This is actually about an an expose and it's about crime being committed. So we'll see. But I think, you know, the last word going to Brittany 
And to her fiance, Sam, who wrote on his Instagram, Freedom, it, it must feel pretty good for them right now. But I just hope that there won't be, with this swing of the pendulum, a relapse of, of any type. Because, of course, we know the paparazzi and the role that they played. We've talked about that. And I do worry about how they hound women in particular. And I really hope that that pressure doesn't come back on her. I think there does need to be some safeguards there and the trust, etc. And I think, I'm not sure whether you were aware, but last week, actually, Brittany wrote something else on her Instagram. And it was a reaction to her mum, Lynn Spears, requesting her daughter's estate pay for $650,000 worth of legal bills. And then Brittany reacted and she wrote, P.S., my dad may have started the conservatorship 13 years ago, but what people don't know is that my mom is the one who gave him the idea and I will never get those years back. She secretly ruined my life. So Brittany's not just looking at her father, Jamie. It sounds like she also is looking at her mother and her sister of being on this gravy train. What did you think about that? Yeah, I thought it was it was yet another very sad realization, um, a glimpse into Britney's world. And that is not only has she been under this coercive conservatorship, but in this process and over these years, her relationship with her family has been greatly damaged. And, you know, I was thinking, hoping that here just over the last few months, it looked like Lynn was stepping up on her side and, you know, going to court and filing a deposition saying, um, you know, this conservatorship should be over with. She's she's capable. I'm standing with Brittany, essentially, um, and, you know, fighting for for the termination of the conservatorship. But based on that, it's very clear that Brittany does not trust her mom, uh, blames her mom for a lot of this. And so even though she's coming out of this conservatorship now, you know, the people you would want to be able to celebrate with is your family. And it's, she doesn't have her family right now. I don't know if it'll be healed in the future, but who does she have right now that she can trust? And that's a, a really hard position to be in when you're someone in her position where, you know, how do you know who's really there for you? You would hope it's your family, but they are not on that list at all for her. No, very sad indeed. I hope she chooses a small team to wrap around her that she can trust with, with her fiancé. Freed Britney is what we all wanted to see. So she gets an amen from me a thousand times over. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm really happy for her. And I hope that she now chooses her next steps very wisely and the people that she has around her. And I want to thank you, Lonnie, as well for joining me. And I know you've got a very important premiere tonight of your new show. So I wanted you just to say a little bit about it because I know my listeners will be interested in it. So tell us a little bit about your new show that airs tonight on Oxygen, Lonnie. Well, I appreciate you asking me about this, uh, Laura, because this is one that really has um, become very dear to my heart. Um, it's it's about the missing and murdered Indigenous women and the crisis that is going on in the United States. Native American women are the most stalked, raped, and murdered of any ethnic group in the United States. And yet I don't think people are aware of it or realize it or talk about it. Um, since 2016, 6,863 Native American women and girls have gone missing. And that's way underreported. But let's start with that number. If you average that out over 
per month. That's 98 women and girls going missing per month. That's over three a day. And yet I bet most of us cannot name one missing Native American girl that we've heard about or talked about or looked for or found. The special that I'm involved with that's airing tonight on Oxygen and will be available on demand after that is called Missing and or Murdered and Missing in Montana and focuses on three young Native American women uh, in Montana that go missing and then are later found dead. And we look at their cases and the patterns that are there. And we talk about also, you know, the bigger picture as a, as a crisis that's going on. The numbers are horrendous. 94% of Native American women are raped or coerced in their lifetime. The first time I heard that, I was like, that has to be a mistake. It has to be a mistake. Of all the uh, victims of sex trafficking in the United States, 40% are Native American. And when you look at the fact that according to the U.S. Census, Native Americans make up less than 2% of the entire population, and yet they make up 40% of uh, all the women and girls being uh, sex trafficked. So they are being targeted. The numbers are outrageous and uh, we all need to be aware of it and there needs to be action taken. Absolutely. Truly horrific. I mean, those numbers, those statistics are just terrible and they're the ones that are known about. And I always think that that's, you know, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know if someone's missing. If someone doesn't report them missing, then how do we know? And I've worked some of those cases where one person, thank goodness, did report them missing. Um, But I really think it's such an important show and I hope that everybody does watch it on demand. And I, I just had a question about, or if um, about also, did it did you start working on the show after the Gabby Petito case, or was it something you were already looking at? No, we'd been working on this for over a year, and uh, it was in the finishing stages because, as you know, a production takes a long time to to put together. And it was as we were just finishing up that the Gabby Petito case happened, and here was this massive search for this girl, and then then we start hearing about you know missing white woman syndrome, and I thought it was actually amazing and thrilling to see the response to a missing person. I just would want it to happen for every missing girl, whether they be white or of color. And there was actually some response to that effect on social media. You saw some people saying, this is wonderful that people care about Gabby, but let's talk about all of the uh, women of color and the, the uh, missing indigenous women that are, that are, um, you know, so many out there. And so that it kind of started the conversation. Um, and so I'm hoping that some people already kind of are aware of this and are like, oh, let me learn more about it. And so that's why the show, the documentary is really important. Well, thank you. And I would love to have you come back on and us to talk about that specifically and about the cases that, that you're showcasing so that I can understand more and educate myself and educate our my listeners in the process too. So let's, if you're happy to, I would love to do a special on um, the cases that you would like to talk about specifically, and maybe those that haven't got any media awareness on them at all at the moment as well. But um, I'm very conscious of your time too, Lonnie, as um, I've kept you and you've had a busy day today and your show will be starting soon. So unless there's anything else you want to, to add, I will wrap this episode. I think that was great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And everyone, please go check out Lonnie's show. You can find her on social media as well. Let's keep the conversation going. Thank you so much, Lonnie Coombs.
I really appreciate you and value you. And thank you for all the work that you're doing too on such important subjects that people need to know more about. Well, thank you for having me. And I hope you'll join me next week in the Intelligence Cell for more crime analysts. So for now, or until next week, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instincts. And here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. The first is a huge thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners and crime analysts, for tuning in every week. The second is an ask. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review on whichever platform you listen to me on. It really helps others find me and helps with the ratings. So thank you, thank you. Crime Analyst is written, produced and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Tim Hansen at Half Ogre Studios. Cover art and graphics by Chris Raybottom at Syndicate. And music by Kilrood. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.